This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. Welcome to American Enough. This is your host, Vikram Iyer. Today, we dissect something that President Trump got big applause last week for. During his speech in Ohio, he called for fixing our immigration system. Instead of a terrible system where anybody comes in, he said, the president advocated for a merit-based system, one that, quote, protects our workers and our economy. Today, we unpack exactly how an immigration system can get built in a way that both advances our competitiveness, but also addresses a core question outlined in the president's plan. Are you going to be American enough to contribute to our economy? Stay tuned. This is American Enough with your host, Vikram Iyer. So for months now, we as a country have been tackling uh, what it really means to be a part of our common economy, part of our common identity. Uh, We've heard everything from the travel ban executive order um, that the president later confirmed on Twitter was intended to be a ban against Muslim uh, individuals. We've heard everything to in another executive order uh, called Buy American, Hire American, which specifically tried to suss out a H-1B visa or guest worker program, typically for high-skilled individuals, high-skilled labor that gave a little bit more preference or shifted preference um, to often uh, foreign-born workers to American workers. Um, And we've generally heard rhetoric, particularly from President Trump's uh, senior advisor and speechwriter, Stephen Miller, uh, that has continuously say that a pro-American immigration reform system is something that the people want and that it's something that people deserve. And that puts the needs of the working class ahead of the investor class. So um, everything from policy actions, policy prescriptions, and policy-based rhetoric uh, from our current administration has indicated very, very strong sentiments around the way that we identify the contributions immigrants can and cannot make to um, our fair society here. And I think that this is a very, very easy topic for um, folks that maybe disagree with the president or disagree with, with his specific policy proposals to glob onto and point to as being a 100% uh, evil, dictatorial, unfair, or, or perhaps more often than not, the critique we hear is uh, running counter to the very words edged on the Statue of Liberty um, to for, for this country to pledge to give uh, the world or signal to the world to give us your tired, your hungry, your poor. Um, this is something that on today's episode of the pod, we would like to actually break down in terms of what exactly the president is proposing and where are the contours that, that, that speak to the American identity inherent within the immigration system. So let's start with the basic facts. Aside from what is etched on the Statue of Liberty or what many, many Americans um, who, or at least individuals who now identify themselves as American may have seen, whether they were uh, coming in to Ellis Island, or they were coming into Angel Island, or they're simply now clearing uh, customs after a Virgin Atlantic flight. Uh, We have this collective sense and history that the American concept, the American idea that builds a more perfect union was founded by those that maybe weren't born here, weren't from here. Um, It's a basic premise that most accept. But what is actively being shaped in this discussion uh, 
by President Trump, by Stephen Miller. And, and frankly, let me introduce two actors, uh, Senators Tom Cotton and David Perdue, both Republican senators, one from Arkansas, one from Georgia, respectively. Um, what's being proposed there actually takes aim at the current immigration system as we know it, and maybe even calls out the very fundamental ethos etched into that Statue of Liberty. So, so let's unpack this a little bit. The Reforming American Immigration for Strong Employment Act, or the RAISE Act, will almost certainly fail uh, to garner 60 votes to pass in the Senate. In fact, when Senators Cotton and Purdue uh, first associated this idea uh, to uh, earlier to, the, to this Congress, the 115th Congress earlier this year, they were actively laughed at and shot down, not because of the ideas themselves, but because of the political viability. Then enter last week's speech in which President Trump, frankly, uh, put it on life support, resuscitated it, both with his uh, senior advisor, Stephen Miller, who we appreciate or acknowledge before, but also through his, his roaring speech um, uh, that, that he delivered to an audience calling for an advancement to the way that we uh, move his far-right immigration agenda. So in the House, the House of Representatives, several proposals of service that would allow local law enforcement officers to enforce federal immigration laws, cut off funding to sanctuary cities. These are cities that um, get labeled in the way that they do because after someone commits a crime um, and is actually prosecuted for it, um, these are cities that have actively decided not to move that individual or deport that individual if they were here through unlawful means. And we've also seen the House actually push forward an overhaul to the asylum system in the United States. Um, and I, I think it's important to know who are the principal authors for this. We've got uh, Steve Bannon and, and Stephen Miller, as we mentioned earlier, have had a heavy hand in these proposals. So what we really want to do here is not necessarily assess whether or not this immigration bill passes, but really why it matters that, that this president, the, the leader of the free world, would even suggest it to begin with. And I don't mean to create an ad hominem attack by continuously pointing to Miller and Bannon as uh, heavy hands in the way the president's articulating his thinking, uh, but, but it is indicative of where they came from. Um, as we know from just the campaign trail alone, we won't necessarily indict them for their prior lives or, or their prior jobs and the roles they had to play there. But from the campaign alone, we know that these were individuals that very much shored up support for the, for the base for President Trump, um, who, who were feeling aggrieved by this notion of opportunity, of income inequality, um, even stretching far out to, to point to technological advances like automation that are certainly reshaping and impacting the workforce. Um, these were, in effect, uh, President Trump, well, then candidate Trump's Svengali's um, or consiglieri's that were trying to craft the right way and message to really fire up a base of voters or, or a base of prospective uh, supporters to actually go after one concept, and that was the concept of the other. Now, it's really important to understand that in the long list of White House to-dos, everything from passing a tax reform package, um, allegedly wanting to appeal health care for, for millions of Americans, uh, wanting to create a package of spending for 
bridges and tunnels and roadways and infrastructure package, um, even advancements when it came to uh, America's prowess or stance and posture around energy, um, of all of the things that the president has to do, including you know filling out his cabinet and appointing people to actually work on his staff, the far-right immigration playbook has been popping up more and more and more. And it, it's important to understand why this is such a big priority for this administration. And this comes appears pretty blatantly when you when you take a look at an August 8th USA Today op-ed penned by both Senators Cotton and Purdue, um, in which they specifically say that the new system that they propose under the RAISE Act would retain immigration preferences for the spouses and minor children of U.S. citizens and legal permanent residents, but not for most extended and adult family members. It would eliminate so-called diversity visa lottery, which hands out green cards, in their words, randomly without regards to skills or family connections. Um, and it would remove per-country caps on immigration so that high-skill Im- applicants aren't shut out of the process because of their country of origin. Uh, so I want to read this out to all of our listeners because this is the text in their own word. This is the, the, these are the pillars that they're trying to pursue. But here's where things get interesting and particularly interesting for our readers. And that is when Senators Cotton and Purdue say the ideal immigration system should have three objectives. First, it should attract the young and highly skilled since they provide a boost for our economy. Second, they should seek out people who can integrate into our American society most effectively. And third, they should give priority to uniting immediate families, since it's better to um, actually protect and and give green cards to parents and their minor children rather than to those extended family trees, growing siblings and cousins. Now, these are really, really important principles to recognize, because if you back up and take a look at the first premise, they are acknowledging that additional talent, additional skills can provide a boost for our economy. If you take a look at their second pillar, um, they are specifically calling out those who can integrate into American society. And if you take a look at the third, we're talking about who within a family qualifies as being family enough. So we're going we're gonna to take a deeper dive at numbers two and three to understand what it means to be American enough, but also to be family enough. And this is something that Regardless of where you are on this debate, again, the goal of this podcast is not to alienate particular members, um, but to really just parse out how different Americans, our fellow countrymen and countrywomen, are thinking about the same concepts. Um, we, we, if you're really going to unpack how one can quote, and again, these are in the words of the authors, Senators Cotton and Purdue, how one can integrate into American society most effectively. The biggest problem with Trump's endorsement of the RAISE Act is that there is no clear articulation for what is an American and what isn't an American, and by way of that, how one is able to prospectively integrate into society. Now, they attempt to add a few more, a little bit more meat on the bones, uh, specifically by saying that they're going to allocate a point system um, for, for merit and preference for those that can contribute to the economy. And they specifically call out a desire for English uh, language speaking individuals. And this was most notably um, animated uh, when during a White House press briefing last week where President Trump's senior advisor, Stephen Miller, um, did speak to this with a reporter from CNN. And the exchange actually came down to 
the, the administration's advisor refuting the premise of a question about where English-speaking natives come from in terms of the, the migration populations of the world by saying that the, the premise of the question was too cosmopolitan. That the very notion of even asking why you would shut off doors to certain English speakers and suggesting examples of where majority populations do speak English um, is something that is uniquely contained to the thinking of New Yorkers or San Franciscans or, in the words of the advisor, cosmopolitan. Now, for anyone, just for a quick refresh of how that word choice was being used, specifically in that conversation, we know that familiar with, with familiar and at ease in many different countries and cultures, um, a cosmopolitan person, though, in this context, specifically uh, referring to almost in a derogatory way, being of a particular heightened mind and cultural attitude that may be only reserved or contained within uh, liberal elites, coastal cities. Uh, now, now I will, to, to the advisor's fairness, I will admit this is not the way he defined the term. But if you read the context, it's certainly the way that he used the term. So first and foremost, if we are going to be talking about what it means to safely and economically effectively integrate into American society, then we ought to start with the examples set by this administration and by our leadership, um, whether they're in the White House, whether they're in Congress, or whether they're in the school board. These words matter and rhetoric matters. And so having individuals go out and fight um, on behalf of a particular immigration position in which we're trying to uh, assess what the landscape of integrating into American society is and start off the gate by saying some are more elite than others, some are more cosmopolitan than others, that it would only make sense for a, a, an academically trained journalist to think about the world in a particular way, that's not productive because it doesn't do two things. One, it doesn't actually define the goals that Senator Cotton and Purdue lay out in their legislation, and that is talk about integration into American society and what that actually looks like and what that means and how you actively create measures and benchmarks that you can, you know, track against those metrics towards what integration means. Number two, it starts to create an us versus them mentality at home. Already the immigration rhetoric that we've seen from the executive orders, from the rhetoric of this administration, have very much been between creating a sense of other and those that have felt within the United States that the sense of opportunity and income inequality has gotten too wide. Um, already we know that that's an issue that we're tracking. Um, so if you're going to create a sense of an other, a person that we can attack or scapegoat or point to for undermining our jobs and our opportunities for hardworking Americans externally, um, then if you're going to do that, leaders of the world that are, that are advancing that kind of rhetoric, then you have to be incredibly mindful to speak to your fellow Americans, your fellow countrymen and countrywomen about their sense of identity and their sense of being an American. Full stop. Understanding an American identity is a fluid and iterative and evergreen concept. Etch right into the documents laid out by our fathers, we are in pursuit of a more perfect union. So it does not help for individuals to start targeting their own fellow citizens. But more importantly, when we talk about what this actually looks like, we hear the president often relaying a system set up by Canada 
in which uh, specifically President Trump and his Republican senator co-sponsors of these bills uh, have said that the merit-based system that they're envisioning um, is much like Canada's, and they've cited it as an example when it comes to immigration. But, but the plan presented by Trump and, and these senators, known as the RAISE Act, as we said, actually shows some very, very significant differences from the Canadian immigration system. In Canada, immigration levels for 17 were set at a target of about 300,000, representing approximately 1% of the population. Now, this figure doesn't include, again, that does not include the many hundreds of thousands of foreign workers and students who come to Canada each year, many of whom go on to become permanent citizens because of their very inviting uh, immigration infrastructures. Um, but Trump's plan would actually bring immig U.S. immigration numbers from a current rate of just over one million green card issues uh, per year down to just over half a million, representing around 0.15% of the population. So on a per capita basis, Canada's immigration levels would actually be six times greater than that of the United States. So when they're specifically trying to create a comparison, what are we talking about here? Because a lot of people are globbing onto that of saying, well, if Canada is doing it, why can't we? You know, if we take a look at um, Ahmed Hussein, that is the gentleman that uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau appointed as Canada's Minister of Immigration. Um, he, when he's uh, announcing that the baseline would be 300K annually um, for, for Canada's new baseline intake for immigration, he actually concurrently said that that scope would have a higher intake over time. So that's an additional fundamental difference between the way Canada perceives immigration and the way the United States' leadership is currently contemplating it, which is these aren't necessarily hard in line, hard and fast caps, but rather that they are they are baseline targets after which we can grow, after which we can actually understand that as an economy, we are better off when we have more diverse attitudes, a wider tapestry of knowledge and know-how, and, and frankly, just more of an individual identity that's created from the best and brightest of every other individual out there. Um, moving you know, additionally further into Husen's comments, he has said that the the, the ruling party, the Liberal Party, um, of which uh, just Prime Minister Trudeau leads, is actually perceived as avidly, avowedly sorry, pro-immigration. And indeed, federal parties in Canada currently represented in the House of Commons, um, to, to a greater or lesser extent, are in favor of high immigration levels. So the actual emphasis that Trump is talking about here is specifically on the skills-based exercise and the certain family reunification exercises that the RAISE Act goes into. So the problem is, when you want to talk about what are the skills that would make someone uniquely situated to contribute to the Canadian economy, or what are the skills that make you uniquely able to contribute to the American economy, we have not heard a robust set of ideas policy reference points, or frankly, any sort of thought leadership from even associated think tanks or academics that are in support of this administration's proposal, um, identifying or defining any of that. All we've heard is a merit-based point system and the English language. So how do we actually feel about that? Well, the current text of the RAISE Act does not provide details of the points breakdown for various factors that may be under consideration. Um, 
we've, we've heard that in addition to English, that they want to make sure that they can demonstrate skills that contribute to our economy. But certainly when the co-founders of Google were applying for their own immigration uh, vehicles into this country, being graduate students at Stanford University, that there was no codified test for whether or not they had the exact metrics of vision to be able to understand how you gather and search for the world's information. In fact, as, as many of you will know out there, uh, several Fortune uh, 500 companies, in fact, I think something to the tune of 40%, have been founded by immigrant co-founders or, or are, are uh, sons and daughters of immigrants in this country. And each of them didn't go through Donald Trump's uh, demonstrate your skills to contribute to our economy. So where exactly are we going to baseline this concept that you are American enough only if you're able to contribute in X, Y, and Z ways? Even if we grant this administration the benefit of the doubt that we can create a calculated test for that, as of right now, all we know is you got to speak English. But even if you were going to take that element a little literally and, and say that that was some sort of indicator for the extent to which you were willing to embrace American culture and American identity, um, I think no one needs to look any further than the way the U.S. United States State Department actually administers its own Foreign Service exam. The Foreign Service Institute um, actually provides all of our country's diplomats, um, whether they're uh, career diplomats that work on consular affairs at embassies around the world, um, or they're more uh, highly, sorry, higher visibility type of diplomats that specifically liaise with different countries um, on very high profile geopolitical issues. Th that specific test to become a foreign service officer to represent the United States at the highest levels of cultural interaction are actually rooted in a very, very firm understanding of each alternative nations, you know, each other country we interact with, um, cultural profile, the, the music that is listened to in that, the history of the country, the, the, the art that gets celebrated in that country, notable authors and the entire canon of, of literary identity of that country, the immersing yourself into the, the cultural know-how of others, that's very, very specifically focused on an element of, of digging into how people are. Um, there is no uh, understand the entirety of a people, the identity of a people, the, uh, the trials and tribulations of a people when you simply master the language alone. The language can be a very, very important way to connect with one another. But in an era in which a great equalizer of language can just as readily be a laugh or can just as readily be translated through the myriad digital tools that we have um, or could readily be enriched by learning how another person's own syntax and ordering of, of dates and clauses and phrases can evoke different sentiments of laughter and love and expressions of identity in different languages, then for a country that is specifically rooted in building a more perfect union based off of the thoughts and visions and diversities and dynamisms of the other, why would we preclude others from being able to join us on this criteria alone. So maybe you, maybe even if you accept that, that still hasn't defined for us from this administration, from this immigration proposal, um, what it means to be an effective contributor to our society. Now, certainly looking out for one another is important and having the resources to do so is important. But when did we start creating a sense of identity? 
American identity based off of how much how many coins are in your pockets. In fact, the entire story of American grit and resilience is based off of the fact that if you work hard, if you invest the right time in your in your community, into your family, and sure, into your place of work, that's how we lift one another. That's how we lift one another up. That we're all better off when we're all better off. And looking out for one another doesn't start by shutting someone out because they don't have enough cash to their name. In fact, the American promise and the American ideal is that putting in that work will allow you to advance the next great innovation, create the next great industry, reimagine the way the world works with that new technology or that new product, employ those around you, be able to reinvest all of the payroll taxes that come from that employment back to your community, and so on and so forth. So this notion, again, if we back up and take a look at the two pillars, that you're able to have enough money to financially support yourself, that you speak the right language to be sufficiently American, it still does not define the ultimate premise laid out in Senator Cotton's and Senator Perdue's own op-ed in USA Today this week of being an effective integrator into American society. And for three individuals, three men, a little older and a little whiter than, than others, to say nothing of those demographics specifically, but just focusing on the numbers one, two, and three, to stand from their high towers and declare that one person is more American than the other or more qualified to be accepted by the American experiment or more able to integrate into American society because they speak a certain language, they make a certain amount of money, and they look good in the eyes of these three individuals is not what our founding fathers would have stood for. It is not what the capacity of the American immigration system has been about. And it is not how one advances the economic well-being of our country. But even if, again, even if on this podcast we don't want to discriminate against the rationale behind ideas, even if you grant all three legs of the stool that this legislation points out by way of their value-based pillars and say that this is actually how we're going to create opportunities for Americans, then nothing in the plan actually routes existing Americans towards jobs. Now, jobs, as we've discussed on this podcast, actually, um, what we should say, unemployment is at historic lows, um, given the amazing job growth that we've seen over the past nine years, um, we cannot rest on our laurels and say that that means everyone has opportunity, everyone has access to, to resources. Quite, quite the contrary. And that the big concern that lies there is how do we actually create the right skills infrastructure so those that don't actually have the jobs or have jobs that are getting quickly replaced uh, by new technological advancements or other configurations of our social safety net. How do we upskill them in a meaningful way? None of that from a budgetary or investment perspective is laid out in this legislation. Um, more importantly, a job training fund, even if you were to just cap the number of individuals that are able to come into this country, doesn't necessarily create individuals to a new path towards gaining jobs that are available in this country. Moreover, if you were to cut out individuals from coming into this country, there's no dialogue around the extent to which we're actually able to advance the same innovations that have come from immigrants and come from their perspectives. So again, 
no articulation of what it means to integrate into American society, no adamant guarantees around how having a certain amount of money attached to your name or your bank account is a proxy indicator for how you're going to invest in this country. In fact, lots of empirical data of many companies that have been founded and created jobs can directly rebuke that. And finally, not even an articulation about what it means to be American by way of these standards. So we have to ask ourselves, what does the RAISE Act mean? When we're all trying to identify under this president's tenure and rhetoric what being American enough actually means. What, what, what does the RAISE Act mean when we can't even have a dialogue with the president's own advisors without drawing the ire of reporters and folks representing the president from the podium? What does it mean when this introduced legislation doesn't define basic concepts of human identity, but they root the ability to come into those countries in a fully resolved identity and identification? Three men defining what it means to be effectively American to people who have never stepped foot in this country by people who have only known this country. That, ladies and gentlemen, is not American enough. That actually runs contrary to the American proposition and the American belief. This has been American Enough with Vikram Iyer. American Enough is a production of Mouth Media Network, copyright 2017. Theme music by Chris Thomas, edited by Mark Rako. Contact Vikram with your comments and questions at 844-4-VIKRAM and connect with the show on social media at American Enough. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. To learn more about Mouth Media Network and how you can partner with this podcast, visit MouthMediaNetwork.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Mouth Media Network. No portion of this show may be reproduced, published, or rebroadcast without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. <laughs>